title of this is um with your sound lockdown or something like that. Is that right? Something something along those lines. Can you all hear me? Hello, can they hear me? Yeah, I got a little choppy for a minute, but I think it's better now. Okay, so I'm gonna try to talk loud. So since the title is the relationship with your spouse during the lockdown, I'm really going to talk about it from that aspect because marriage is a very, very broad and deep topic. And there's no way we can really get to the nitty gritty in one short uh, talk, class, whatever you want to call it. So we have to focus on what is most important now. And right now what is most important is talking about a relationship during the kind of experience that we're having now because all of us have been asking each other and we've been searching for answers by a lot of people going on the internet, listening to different shiurim, listening to different gedolim and different rabbis. What is this all about? What does Hashem want from us? And I certainly don't have the answers, but I like sometimes to look at facts. So I'd like to present two facts and use those two facts to maybe explore a little bit. <laughs> do with us and our relationships with ourselves. So everybody knows, we say in Aleinu in, in every day, it will be on that day, Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad. Hashem will be one and His name will be one. So it's clear to us that at the end of days, in the times of Mashiach, Hashem wants to be one. He wants to be known by the entire world. He wants the world to be united in recognizing him. He wants there to be harmony and balance in that world so that we recognize that he is one, that all of creation is one, and that he is the source of all of creation. That's what a Baruch is looking for. So Mir Tushem, Mashiach will come. Many people say he's coming right now. I don't know when he's coming. I hope that he will come very soon. But we know that when it comes, that's the goal that Kodesh Baruch Hu is looking for. Yichud Hashem, that Hashem is one and His name is one. Mm -hmm. Unification, unification of the entire universe. Fact number one that we all know. Fact number two, we have been sent into our homes. The COVID-19 pandemic has unified actually the entire world by sending all of us into our homes. So it seems clear to me in my small mind that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants unification and that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is somehow achieving this in some way through sending us into our homes, our quiet. Now we know that the Gula has always been brought about by the women of Klai Yisrael. We have always been those who have been the catalyst for the Gula. And we understand from our Chazal that it will always be the women who are the catalyst for Zula. Now it's interesting that each Zubeso, what is the bias? The bias is the wife. The bias is the woman. So looking at these two plain facts that I'm looking at, that a Kodesh wants to be unified and that he has sent us into our bias, I personally think there's a message here for women. Take it or leave it. I'd like to talk about that now. <laughs> Why is it harder? Somebody needs to mute themselves because I'm hearing a lot of
living in a home, you have certain people that are there and certain people that aren't there. People take turns being in the home. Not everybody is together 24-7. Shabbos, the men leave, the women leave, the children leave. Everybody is coming and going. There's a chance for people to be separate and have the separate lives. But right now, we are all together in our home. And not only are we all together in our home, but there's a lot of anxiety connected with this pandemic. There are a lot of problems that are going on. People are worried financially. People don't know what will be tomorrow. We don't know when the lockdown will be lifted. We don't know if when the lockdown is lifted, it's the right time to lift the lockdown. We don't know if people will continue to get sick, if our loved ones will get sick. It doesn't only seem to be affecting older people, it's affecting more and more younger people. We don't know if it will mutate in the fall, like many people are speaking about. We don't know if Chas Hashem is going to start affecting children. We don't know if there'll be another peak. We don't know if it will continue to affect our economy. We don't know anything. And when we don't know anything, we fall into a state of anxiety. And that is normal and human. And that's why we have to strive to overcome it and to trust Hashem. But the fact is, that when you're all together in a house, day after day after day, with these anxieties floating around, many of us find a way to soothe that anxiety by becoming a little bit controlling. So whatever situation is going on in our home, whether it's a family with small children at home and both parents working, whether it's a family where the husband is working at home and the mother is trying to get the children to do their schoolwork, whether it's a family where it's a retired couple and they don't really have many things that they have to do and the husband is demanding too much attention from his wife and perhaps they're worrying about the stocks and bonds that they had that they were going to live on after retirement and perhaps younger people are working, worrying about the stocks that they had bought that are now falling together with the stock market. There's a lot of anxiety. And so a natural re result of that anxiety is to try to exert control. And usually, the lightning rod for women in exerting control is their husband. Is my husband participating fully in what's going on in the house? Is he helping with the children? Is he helping the house to stay clean? Is he leaving a mess when he eats? Is he leaving his shoes on the floor? Is he being nice to the children? Is he paying attention to me? Is he listening to my concerns? Does he acknowledge how hard I'm working? There are so many things that people are noticing about their husbands now that may be difficult to deal with. And when you're in the same house for hours and hours and hours, day after day after day, a person begins to notice all the things that are wrong with the spouse, the things that aren't working. And when we try to exert control, really what's happening is we're saying, I want him to be this way, and I want him to be this way, and he should be this way because those are my needs. I have these needs, and I really want him to fulfill my needs so he has to be a certain way. So we're in our bias, and we're striving to be the right kind of wives, but there are so many challenges in doing this. And the more we try to exert control, the more anxiety it creates. Now, you may have a perfect marriage. You may be married to a, an angel who is there for you at every moment and understands everything you're going through and loves to clean up and spends time with the children and wants to spend time with you and is able to get his work done quickly and he's never tense and he's always focused. You may be married with somebody like that. That's great. I'm happy for you. You're not off the hook either. 
because the Vilna Gun in Evan Hashlema says, if a person does not continually strive to rise higher and higher, he will definitely descend lower and lower. Every day, we have to strive higher and higher. Now, how are we supposed to do this at such a time? When the tension is in the air and we want so much from our husbands and they may not be fulfilling what we really want. So I think we should take a step back and go to where we always go when we want direction, and that is a Torah HaKadosha. And you have all heard many, many times what the Torah says about a husband and a wife. It gives us clear direction. A man should leave his wife, his mother, and his father. He should cling to his wife. They should become one flesh. And it sounds so beautiful, and we write it on the cards, the chasen and kala, and we talk about it at Sheva Brachos, and we have no idea really what it means. What does it mean to cling to your wife? What does it mean? If we think about the unification of a Kodesh Baruch that he's looking for in this world, what he's telling us over here is that we are required to reflect his unification. He wants a person to become an Adam Shalem, a complete person. And the only way that can happen is if the man can reunify with the piece of him that was taken from him in the beginning. Hashem is very smart. He took the rib out of Adam and he built it into Chava. And now you have a piece of man that is missing and you have a woman that is made from someone that is missing a piece and there's going to be a magnetic pull for him to be fulfilled by his wife and for her to be fulfilled by her husband. That unification, that completion is a reflection of the unification of Hashem in this world. So here we have a hint to what he expects of us now. He sent us into our bias. Good, I'm in my bias. What do I do now? Unify. Okay, what does that mean? He wants unification. Hashem I'm supposed to reflect him when I'm in my house. What do I do here? It's very hard because I create barriers to unify with my husband. What are the barriers I create? As soon as I want him to be different than he is because I have needs and desires and a picture of how he should be, I have created a barrier between me and him. The only way to get rid of that barrier is to somehow escape myself. And sometimes I'll say, well, I want him to be that other way because it's really for his own good. I want him to be a complete person. I want him to fulfill his potential. Think about it. Why do you want him to be different than he is? Why do you want certain things about him to be different than they are? Is it control? Is it our needs? Or is it truly that we really care for him? So there is a, a, a way to know if I have escaped myself and care enough to create this unity with him, or if I am still stuck in self. And we're going to look at this. We're going to go to Parshas Tazria for an answer to this. Mrs. Feldman? Yeah, you can't hear? I'm, I'm sorry. First of all, if possible to go closer to the computer, maybe you're closer to the speaker so people can hear better. Also, yeah. there was some people were waiting and it, it reached its max, but now they're coming in. So there's a few people that are a little bit late. Um, I'm not saying we have to go over everything, but I'm just mentioning it. So 
is it okay with everyone if I just lay out the beginning piece so that everybody will know what we're working on? I hope that's okay. Okay, I just go really fast. So, Simon, it's a little better, but any closer, the closer the better, I think, for volume. The closer to, I have a mic because my computer, is this better? That's definitely better. The closer the better. I'm going to try to talk really loud. Is that better? Definitely better. Okay, I'm going to get a new computer, Mir Hashem. We're going to try to get a new one. But did you know that you can't buy computers now because everyone's out of them? Anyway, okay, so I'm going to talk really loud. And Toba, you can interrupt and let me know if I'm talking loud enough. Okay, okay? thank you, Mrs. Hoffman. Thank you. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to just recap a little bit. We are in a strange situation that we have never been in before. We don't know how to respond. I am not a Navi. I don't know how to respond. However, there are two facts that are staring us in the face. Fact number one, we say in Aleinu every day that Hayah Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to reach a point in this world when Mashiach will come, that the entire world will be unified in knowing him, that we will understand that he is one, that he is the source of all being and all existence. And that there is no piece of anything that exists that is not a part of him. It's called unification. The entire world in balance, in harmony, all one. That is a fact. Whether Mashiach is coming tomorrow, we don't know. But we are certainly on the way to the unification that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is looking for. That's number one. Number two, fact number two. We have been chased into our home. The bias has become the place of Klal Yisrael now. Putting those two pieces together, it seems likely that they have something to do with each other and we want to try to figure out what that is. Now, we have been chased into our homes and we want to do the right thing in our homes. And we know that the bias, the OL, is the woman. Ishto zu beso, the woman is the bias, the woman is the home. And we also know that the ge'ula in Mitzrayim and in every time we were in Golos was brought about by the women. And we also know that the women are going to be the ones that will bring the ge'ula in the future. So let's put everything together and understand that there is a message here for us in each and every person's bias. We have to do what is necessary to do in a bias which we have to figure out what that is. The problem is that it's very challenging right now because we are undergoing a lot of anxiety and we have people stuck at home for weeks at a time with each other for weeks at a time in many different situations that cause anxiety. There is financial anxiety. There is personality anxiety. We don't know when the lockdown will be lifted and we don't know if it's right to lift the lockdown. We don't know what will happen in the fall when there's perhaps another surge. We don't know about the safety of our children. We don't know about the safety of our loved ones. We're worried about the economy. We have many things to be anxious about. And when we get anxious about things, most human beings seek to achieve some measure of control in their environment. For women, it seems to be that the lightning rod for their desire for control becomes the husband. They're in a situation perhaps where they have children at home that are taking school online and they have to make sure the children are doing their work. 
They may be in a situation where both parents are working and their little children at home and there's nobody to take care of them. They may be in a situation where both people are home and they're retired and the husband is demanding a lot of attention from his wife and she wants some space or perhaps they're worried about their savings and what's happening with the stock market. Any way you look at it, there's a lot of tension and a lot of anxiety. And so we tend to look for our husbands to be a certain way and to fill our needs. That's called exerting control. As soon as I want my husband to be different than he is at this moment and trying to make him be that way through begging him, cajoling him, explaining to him, fashioning to him, I am trying to exert control. And so here I am in my bias where I'm supposed to be making everything so beautiful and I am, I'm swamped by anxiety. I'm swamped by the efforts to keep everything going. Life is weird, nothing's the same. There's so many worries. And my husband is not being exactly the way I want him to be. I want him to take care of the children. I want him to help me keep this house clean. I want him to pay attention to me. I want him to understand how hard this is. I want him to acknowledge how hard I'm working. I want him to care about me and pay attention to me. Or maybe I don't want him to pay attention to me. Whatever it is I want, I'm not getting. Now, there may be some of you, as I said before, who have a perfect marriage, who are married to angels, the most amazing people, who are there for you every minute and never make a mistake. However, don't think that you're free of the efforts that we're going to be talking about because the Vilna Gon has told us in Evan Shlema that if a person doesn't strive every single day to reach higher and higher, that person will surely descend lower and lower and lower. And in this most significant issue, our bias, that is essentially and very, really true. So we're dealing with this difficulty. The more control I try to exert, the more anxiety I feel. What am I supposed to do about building this bias? How do I go about doing this? I'm supposed to bring the gaula. How am I going to do that? I'm going to be like all those great women. How am I going to do that? So let's take a step back and gain some perspective on what marriage really is for. The Torah makes it very clear, as you have heard many, many times. You don't have to go to bed, but this is what I'm doing now. I'm sorry. I think somebody's trying to get their kids to stop disturbing them. Um, thank you for muting yourself, whoever you were. The Torah tells us that a man should leave his father and his mother and should cling to his wife. The Dovak, the Ishto, we should cling to his wife. They should become one flesh. The Torah made very clear what should happen in a bias. What happens in a bias is uniting. The husband and the wife uniting as one. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu made Adam, he purposely did it in this fashion where he removed the tzela, the rib, from the Adam and took it away for good. And out of that tzela, he created Chava. And now Adam will have a constant longing and striving to reunite with the piece of him that is missing. And Chava will have a constant longing and striving to reunite with the part, the major part from which she was taken. That is called unification. So somehow we have to create a deep, rich unity in our bias. This unity that we create will reflect 
Hashem Echad, because we will be Basar Echad. And so we are bringing that day when Hashem will be Echad closer and closer and closer, the more unified we become with our husband. It's not so easy because I'm in a state of anxiety and I want things to be a certain way and I want him to be a certain way. And the minute I insert my demands or my desires for him to meet my needs and be a certain way, I have now put a barrier between me and him and I have now slowed down the process of unification that is supposed to be happening. So what do I do? So here's practical advice number one, and I want to explain it very deeply. If you look in Parshish Tazria, which we just finished, we learned about the mitzvah of Tzara'at. And what happens when a person finds on a place on his body, he finds a nega, he finds the plague, whatever you want to call it. He finds some kind of a thing on his skin, on his body that looks like it's not healthy. He goes to the Kohen and the Pasuk says, a very interesting Pasuk, it says, the Kohen will look, he will see the nega, he'll see what's wrong, and then he'll see the, the, what it looks like, and the Torah describes what it will look like. And then the Pasuk, the same Pasuk goes on to say, the Ra'ahu HaKohen, the Timioso. The Kohen's going to see him. So the Meshachachma asks the question. In the same Pasuk, it says, the Ra'ahu HaKohen, the Kohen's going to look at the nega, and then it says, the Ra'ahu HaKohen, the Kohen will see him. Rabbi Singerer quotes the Meshachachma, who says the following. The first time the Kohen looks at the person, the Ra'ah HaKohen, he sees the nega, he sees what's wrong. He looks at what's wrong on the body. The second time, the Ra'ahu HaKohen, the Kohen looks at him as a person. Where is he holding? What's going on in his life? Can he say, Tame Tame? Suppose it's a chassan who's about to get married. Is he going to say, Tame? and keep him from getting married, he has to look at the whole person as a whole. He has to look through the nega at the person. So step number one for us is the following. Shift the focus from me, my desires, my needs, my anxieties, to focusing on him. I am not saying you shouldn't have needs. That is not what we're talking about here. We're talking a specific issue. Shift from your place of anxiety, from who you want your husband to be, shift into looking at him as a full person. Who is he? What does he have about him that made me attracted to him in the first place? And if there was nothing and I married him just to get married, find something about him that's positive. Is he a good provider? Is he an honest person? Does he care about me? Does he in his own way try to show me that he loves me and he cares? It may not be my love language, but is he trying? Does he take care of our children? Does he do things for other people? Focus on the person. See who he is. Shift that focus and see what is about this magnificent human being 
that you can now see that you haven't even been paying attention to because you're so used to being around him. He becomes like you and you don't even notice the great things about him. Now, there's an interesting thing that it tells us in Pirkei Avos. Hashem created the entire world for his kavod. Now that's a strange statement. Hashem doesn't have needs. He doesn't have a need for kavod. He doesn't need me to recognize how great he is. What's this business that he only created the world for kavod? <clears throat> so we understand that the word kavod really means also revelation. Hashem created the world so that through the world, through us, he could be revealed. The more we get to know him and his midos and his goodness and his power and his creativity and his involvement with us, the more we know him, the more that's revealed about him, the more we will acknowledge him and make him the source of our being, which is the Hashem Echad. Now, the same way that we have to give kavod to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that is the purpose of the world, it's our job to give kavod to other human beings, in particular, our husband. Another word for the name neshama, soul, is kavod. The neshama is also called kavod. What does that mean? It means that we are so limitless in what we offer and what is inside of us, that we need others to reveal what about us is great. When you look at your husband, be the revealer of his greatness. Notice it. Reveal what is great about him. And as you do that, you build love and union instead of creating barriers. Yes, he may still be a slob. He may still not do the things you want him to do. He may go shopping and buy all the wrong things and buy a bunch of things that you don't want and you don't need and he's wasting money. But your job is to look at him and see the beautiful virtues in him and let him know that you see them. That is a very important piece of what you can do now while you're with him. While you're asking him to do this and be part of that and be there for you, mention to him, I love being around you so much because I get to notice all the things that I sometimes take for granted. I saw how you picked up your suit and hung it up because you didn't want me to have to do it. I really appreciate how you sat so long and read on the couch with little Marshall. I appreciate that you wanted to be sure we had enough bread flour in the house, which you can't find anywhere in Atlanta. But find the things that he's trying to do to show you that he cares. Build him. Instead of creating barriers through what we demand from our tension and our anxiety, use that energy to find the greatness in him, to connect to it by talking about it, to learn from it and make part of it your own, to try to become his virtues as much as you can. And in that way, you can try to build unification. So now you're going to say to me, Miriam Feldman, here you go again. You're being all idealistic and everything's so beautiful and all has so much meaning. And I will say the following to you. 
I am only telling you what the Torah said. And I'm going to tell you something else the Torah said. We stood around our Sinai. It says, We stood at the bottom of the mountain. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is revealing himself. He's giving us the Torah. And the Gemara and Shabbos says, hmm, you know what that means? It means Hashem took the mountain and he held it over them. They were standing around the bottom. You've all heard this many times. He held the mountain over them and he said to them, if you accept the Torah, that's a really good thing. To in love, and if not, sham There will be your grave. That's a little scary. We're not going to go into that whole piece now. We'll, we'll wait for Shavuot for that. But Rabbi Yaakov Galinsky asked a very pertinent question. Why is he saying sham There will be your grave. Why doesn't he say? Oh, you're going to be buried right here. This is going to be your place. Right here, you're going to be buried, okay? All three million of you, zoop, you're gone. What's the shum? There's going to be your, your burial place. But Yaakov Galinsky says very sharply, you know what shum is? Shum is the name of a mass grave. A mass grave where people bury themselves. What do you mean bury themselves? He says what we do is in order not to be the greatness that we can be, we say, Sham, over there, he's the problem. My husband is the problem. He's too stingy. He's not affectionate. He doesn't understand me. He's too lazy. He's too fat. He doesn't help enough. If he was different, I could be a great wife. If the circumstances weren't like this, if I wasn't shut up in my house with him 24-7, I could be patient and loving when I do see him. But being around him is just too hard. So I can't do it right now. Sean, over there, I could do it over there. Or maybe tomorrow when the lockdown is lifted and he finally goes to work and I can finally send the kids to school or to their daycare or whatever it is. Sean, over there, when things are different, over there, that's when I'm going to be the right kind of a wife and watch how I'm going to unite with my husband and bring Kiddush Shemayim and Kavut Shemayim into the world. Just over there. No, says Rabbi Galinsky. People bury their potential in the Sham. Wherever you are, Po, right now, is where you have to build your bias. You have to find the goodness in your husband here and now. You have to remove self, escape from self. For one tiny moment at a time and look at him and see his greatness and how wonderful he is. We don't have excuses. This is my life now. Who knows what will happen a day from now. If we haven't learned that through this whole experience, I don't know what would ever teach us that. I just remember the days before we shut down school when we were still planning all kinds of things, retreats and workshops and great things. And we said, oh no, we can't go away for it. We'll just have to do it in our school building. And then a few hours later, oh no, we're canceling school. Nobody knew what was gonna happen the next day. You don't know what will be tomorrow. So don't plan on shum. Don't blame your circumstances. Don't blame your lack of your own greatness on circumstances. Don't bury your potential and the mass grave called Sham. Do this now. Yes, it's hard. 
Yes, it is hard. We do hard. Jews do hard. But it's not really so hard because the minute you start focusing outward, you're free. You're free of the tension and the anxiety of trying to control a world that you can't control. You are free because you get to feel the joy of being married to a human being who is unlimited in his greatness. And you get the joy of bringing that out and bringing it to his attention and showing him how much you admire him, even if in the back of your mind you're irritated. How often do we look our husbands in the eye and say, you are the most amazing person in the world. I love being around you. And yes, sometimes I may get tense and I may snap at you and it may not be the nicest wife. But I just want you to know that I'm watching and I'm seeing your greatness. Mention things casually throughout the day. Thank you so much for that. I see how good you are. I see how kind you are to other people. I heard you talking on the phone. You were so patient. And don't say, I wish you could be that patient with your own family. Just say, I see how patient you are. And I really admire it. Give him the love and affection that you want to be giving him. And you will be the recipient of that love and affection. It comes right back to you. Free yourself from the need to control. Let go. Escape and jump into the Ra'ahu. See him for who he is. You will be surprised at how this can transform your marriage. Secondly, give him kavod. Give honor and reverence to your marriage itself. You understand that if marriage is a way of reflecting Hashem's yichud, reflecting his unity, this is a major, massive endeavor. I got to give it my all, and I don't want my smallness to be buried in Shem. I want to be big enough to recognize, to reveal his covers and the cover of Shemayim. This is my job, unification. I want to go into another piece, and I hope you're okay with me mentioning it. And I'm only mentioning it because I'm talking to married women, and we all have a very great responsibility. When we were in Mitzrayim, we've talked about this so many times, and I know you've heard it so many times. I'd like to look at a slightly different angle. Our Chazal talk about how we were redeemed from Mitzrayim, and that it was because of the women in Mitzrayim who, as we know, brought their husbands to the field, make them so beautiful. But I want to look at the Lashon. I want to look at the language that the Gemara uses when it talks about this, because I think there's something more for us to learn from this. Listen to this. We're talking about the women who are going to go out with their mirrors to the field, okay? And they're preparing themselves to do that. When they were going to draw water, Hashem sent tiny fish. So when they put their pitchers in the water, they would draw out of the water in their pitcher, in the container, would be half little fish and half water. 
and they would go they would go to their husbands, they would take this to their husbands, to the field. They would wash their husbands, they would anoint their husbands, they would feed them the fish, I guess they would cook them up. They would give them to drink from the water that they drew. And they would unite with them physically between the borders. So everybody assumed that between the boundaries, the boundaries of the field means that when they were together with their husband, when they were united with their husbands, they would find little crevices at the borders of the field so that they could have some privacy. Of course, they're not going to be intimate with their husbands in the middle of the field. They would go and they would find crevices each field would probably have little areas, maybe with, a, with some bush or maybe a, a little trench dug there. And that's where they would unite with their husbands. And this is the reason for the ge'ula, okay? This is the reason for the ge'ula. Seems to me that Hashem appreciated the unity and the intimacy that they were creating with their husbands. The Maral says something spectacular over here. Here with the Maral says. I'm just going to read you a tiny piece of it. He's talking about why you have to say banas fatayim, that it has to talk about the boundaries of the field. He says it's not just that they have to have privacy. At that moment, they transcended their barriers. The Torah uses the word barriers. Chazal used the word barriers to tell us that even if you have barriers between you, you don't have to be perfect to be to become one. You have faults. He has faults. Imperfect people can achieve beautiful unity. And listen to where he goes with this. When you have this intimate relationship, this oneness, they were one, they became physically one through the desire of the woman. Now you have a godly unity. You are at home with your husband. You have the opportunity to compliment him, to touch him, to put a kiss on his forehead, to feed him, to do his laundry. They were moshkos or machilos. They fed them. They anointed them. They washed them. I'm not telling you to have to do that. Find ways to be physically loving to your husband and use those ways to create a total unity of body and soul. Because when you do that, you are giving HaKadosh Baruch Hu tremendous pleasure. And that's what brings the Geula, the unification of a husband and a wife who transcends their imperfections and their barriers and the things that come between them. They go beyond and above that and they become one, and they reflect Hashem, and they bring His unity into the world. You're home 24-7. Take 
advantage. Your desire for your husband is that piece of you that was taken from him that longs to reunite with him. And he longs to have you reunite back to him. He wants you as part of him all the time. Only sometimes we push them away so hard with who we want them to be and how we want them to behave that they have no way of knowing that we desire them, that we want to be one with them, that we want to build this kind of unification in our bias that we have been chased into. How many times do people do anything they can so that they don't have to interact with their husbands and their families? I've heard women say to me, oh, we always have guests on Travis because we can't be alone at the table. And I'm not saying that's why everybody has guests. I'm using that as an example. It's easier to be annoyed and upset than to be vulnerable and open ourselves up to complete intimacy where there's nothing separating us. Hashem has forced us together. Let's use this time emotionally, spiritually, physically. There is no true ichud without every one of those pieces. You can't have the physical without the emotional and the spiritual. You can't have the emotional without the physical and the spiritual. And it has to be complete unification with nothing between us in any way. And it takes a true desire to be unified, to go beyond my anxiety, my need for control, my need for my husband to be a certain way. At that moment, go beyond. He doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. But we have to unite. It is our job in this world. Women brought about the geula through their cheshek, their desire for their husbands, through treating their husbands with love, with care, with devotion, and I guarantee you that the husbands Mitzrayim were not all perfect. They were idol worshipers. They were unrefined. They were dirty. They were smelly. They had dandruff. They probably had body lights from all the filth because they didn't allow us to take showers. They, the women, transcended everything, physical, emotional, and spiritual, to create a true unification. It seems to me that Hashem tells us I want a shiach to come. I want the world to know me. And I'm sending you home so it can happen. Make it happen. Now, this was not a talk where I'm giving you a million different strategies and try this and try that. And those things are very important. And we have to pursue all of that. And of course you have needs. And of course things are hard. But step out of yourself now. This is the end of days. Someone has to do this. Unify, unite, remove barriers with your husband, your home. You don't have to rush out early in the morning, even if your kids wake up early. Take advantage. Make your time with your husband count. Give him love. Give him physical love. Sit on his lap. Put your arms around him. Tell him you love him. Let him know that you approve of him. He's desperate for your love and your approval. And I don't care how great your marriage is or how long you're married. This is something that has to happen forever. Listen, Abraham and Sarah still united or they wouldn't have had a Yitzchak at age 90 and 100. So you can do this too. If it was okay for your others and your imams, it's okay for you. I am declaring that we need to be spending time 
with our husband in this most difficult of times. Safka, especially, purposely, in this most difficult of times. Because if they could do it in the shrine in the fields, we can do it in our homes and the privacy of our bedrooms and throughout our home during the day as we lay the groundwork for that unification. I hope you're okay with me bringing this up, but I think it is vital, vital for us to use every single piece of femininity that our Kodesh Baruch Hu has given us to bring about the ultimate Yichud Hashem. If anybody would like to clarify, ask questions, I am very happy to continue this discussion. Does anybody want to say anything? Tova, can you hear? I can hear, yeah. I think anybody if somebody has a question, they should unmute themselves. I just wanted to say thank you. Sure. I'm Gitty um, Golding's best friend. <laughs> oh, okay, sure. Oh no, you mean you're from out of town? Somebody from out of town heard this thing? No, I'm from as in town as it gets. I'm from Lakewood. <laughs> oh no! Do <laughs> not repeat any of this. Even though I think we all need to hear it. It's only for me and my husband to know. <laughs> right, exactly. But I just thank you. Point. You're so welcome. Obviously, there is a lot of work to do in our marriages, and obviously women have many needs and men don't necessarily understand them. Please realize we are in an emergency in the end of days, and if our homes are not unified, HaKadosh Baruch Hu can't be either. Thank you so much, ladies. Um, wait, I have a question. I have a question. Yeah. Um, what's the best way to support a, our husband now if... Um, you know, things are, are not great financially and they're, it's stressful for them. So listen, it's a very important thing for a man to feel that he's supporting his family. When a man does, it's, it's different than women. Women also like to contribute, but a man, a piece of his essence is that he's able to support his family. Obviously that's from the beginning also because Hashem told Adam that he's going to have to make their living. He told Chava she's going to have the children. Nowadays, the women have to do both, but that's a different discussion. But we have to recognize that this goes to the core of his self-esteem, and it's very important that we not keep suggesting to him, maybe you should call so-and-so, maybe you should look into this and this, but that we say to him, I believe you, I know that you will be able to make this work out. You have so many kochos. You've always done everything you can to take care of us. I know that Hashem will help us and that you will keep working for people. I'm here to support you. You are the most wonderful person. Anybody who met you would want to hire you for a job. You just, in whatever ways you can, don't let him see that you're very worried if he can avoid that. And just daven your heart out when he's not around and continue to give him support. We are all, none of us know when our paychecks will end. None of us know what's going to happen. Say to him, you're one in, in, in 50 million people that have lost their jobs. So it's okay. Things are going to work out. This is a tough time. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. And it is a tough time, ladies. It's a tough time. And we have to acknowledge that and really recognize that it is tough.
for some people more than others. Some people, this is great, and they don't even want it to end. Their paychecks are coming. Their husbands are home to help them. And that's okay, too. And those women can use these brachos to build their unification with their husbands. We have a job to do. We are Benos Yisrael. We're the only ones that can do this job. And we were created to do this job. Mrs. Feldman, Mrs. Feldman, yes. we have another question. Okay, sorry. What should a woman do if the way her husband parents the kids is destructive? And let's say he's watching them a lot so she can work. Yes, this is a difficult thing. And obviously we can't get into the whole thing now, but here's what the, uh, just a, a, a tip of the iceberg response. Women are models for their husbands. You will notice over time that how you in your home is how your husband will begin to speak to the people in the home, particularly if you speak to him with respect and love. There is nothing you can do about how he parents your children while you're working. All you can do is give love to them and respect to him whenever you are around. If it bothers you, you go into a room, you shut the door, you put on headphones, you don't listen. If he's destructive, they can live with that as long as their parents are unified. You can never underestimate the power of the couple, even if they're imperfect. When parents respect each other and love each other and present to their children as a unified thing, even if they disagree on parenting, the children know this is daddy, this is mommy. They will be okay. It's more important to build the relationship with your husband and it is to stop him from being destructive. Now, we're not talking about abuse. That's a different story. We're talking about what you call destructive, which is possibly um, labeling them or, or being impatient with them or telling them they're stupid or, you know, whatever it is. That is destructive. There's no question about it. But you can't stop it. You can't walk out of the room where you're working and say, stop doing that. That's not right. You will only reinforce the behavior. Therefore, you have to continue as much as you can to be respectful and loving to your children at all times, to tell them sometimes people say words, but you don't have to believe those words, to be loving and supportive and to let them see you treat your, their husband, their father with love and respect. And of course, there's much more that has to be talked about about this question. Is that it? Thank you so much. Okay, ladies, all the best. Hatzlacha Rabba with your mission. Thank you so much. Thank you. For listening. Thank you. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mrs. Feldman? Yes. I think I just got another question. Okay. okay. Well, I'm, I'm just reading this. When we're trying to schedule the days, create structure, coordinate two jobs and schooling for kids, what are ways to do that technical planning without being somewhat controlling? That is a very good question because it is a huge Nisayan. And I would say the following. The word is priorities. Yes, you want to make a schedule. Yes, you want to make sure everybody's doing their schoolwork. Yes, you want to make sure there's supper and lunch on the table. Yes, you want to keep the house somewhat clean. But you have to put in your mind your priorities and everything else will have to go. Your priority number one is your relationship with your husband. Your priority number two is your relationship with your children and your parenting. If it means that they have cereal and milk for supper, then that's what they will have. 
It's nice to have a schedule and to plan out what's going to be. Don't let it master you. You master it. You have two priorities to bring about the unification of Hashem in this world. That is to unite with your husband and to bring your children to know Hashem. And you do that through acting to them the way Hashem would act to them, which is with kindness, love, respect, and boundaries. Everything else can fall away. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you're not a good mother. It doesn't mean you're not a good housekeeper. It means you are a woman who is dedicated to HaKadosh Baruch Hu instead of to your own agenda. Okay, Mr. Salman, yeah. another question? Okay. Sorry. Um, okay. Sorry. It's not really worded like a question, so I'm trying to ask it. Is, um, is it okay to show affection on a light level in front of your kids, hand-holding, etc.? Listen, different people have different opinions about this. I can't imagine why holding hands would be a, a negative, but that's my opinion. I think uh, a hand on the cheek sometimes, a smile close up is okay. I actually think it's very important to show affection and care and, and special smiles to your husband in front of your children. Obviously, you don't want to do anything that is really physical. That would not be appropriate. But it's okay for your husband to put an arm around you sometimes and say, kids, mommy and I decided, or whatever it is. They can see you touching. That's part of them seeing you as one. You are one being, and they need to know that. And they need to know that you love each other. And they need to know that sometimes you have disagreements, but that you transcend those disagreements. You know the famous story about Rav Arya Levine when he got married. He was very, very poverty-stricken. I'm sure many of you have heard this story. And he comes to the Hasna, and they're in the Yehud room. He has nothing to give to his power. He gave her no gifts, nothing. And he says to her in the Yehud room, I want you to know, if I could, I would give you diamonds, I would give you beautiful jewels, I would give you everything possible. But I have nothing. But there's one thing I can give you. I promise you that at any time in our marriage, when you and I disagree on something, I'm going to be mavater and I'm going to agree with whatever it is you want. That's the gift I'm going to give you. I'm never going to turn it into a power struggle or an argument. I'm going to be mavater and do what your rustam is. And she said to him, you know, I want to give you a gift too. Any time in our marriage where we disagree about things, I want to go with what you want. I want to be Mavater and what I'm looking for. You know what they were saying to each other. What they're saying to each other is, we want to become one being with the same Ratham, the same will, focused on the same mission, overcoming the things that may come between us, the barriers so that we're one again. That's what they were really saying. And that's the Rav Ari Levine that comes into the doctor's office many years later and says, doctor, my wife's leg is hurting us because they became Taka one. And it doesn't happen. You don't think it just happened. They worked. They worked plenty. You don't become a tzaddik without work. We're asking ourselves to work. 
Hashem is telling us, I want Yichud, Hashem. It's what the purpose of the world is. So I'm sending you home. Make it happen in your home. Become like Rabbi Arya Levine and his wife. And if you can't achieve that, it doesn't matter. You just go on that journey. You take a step in that direction. Fail a million times. Nobody says that unification of a couple happens with perfect people. It never can. It never will. Because there's never been perfect people. But Abraham and Sarah were certainly one. Yitzhak and Rivka were certainly one. None of them were perfect. We are their children. They are our role models. And in our hearts and bones and sinews and DNA, we have them. We are them. We are them. We can do hard. We can do this. We can bring the Geula. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Mrs. Feldman. Repetition Feldman. Hello? I think yeah. there's another question. Yeah. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much. Amazing, like always. Can you give us some practical tips on how to bring down our anxiety so we're not controlling our husbands and we could stay calm? It's going to be different for everybody because there are people who, who usually feel anxiety and right now they do. There are people who really suffer with anxiety. And my hope is that those who suffer with anxiety are discovering the different strategies. There are many, many strategies for anxiety. You can even go online and look them up. But what I said before, I think is really helpful because you can't be in a state of anxiety if you're not focused on self. It's not possible. The minute you focus on the other, but really with your consciousness, but consciously focus on the other, you can't be conscious of your anxiety. So if you say this, I'm anxious, it, it helps also to turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and just say a short tefillah, Hashem. three words, Hashem, I need you to save me. You can say it a thousand times in a day. Let go for that split second and give it to him and remember, he's helping you. You don't have to make it all happen. You don't have to. As a matter of fact, you can't do anything. You can't get the kids dressed. You can't make sandwiches. You can't keep them online. You can't wipe down the kitchen table unless a Kodesh Baruch gives you the ability to do that. Is any way helping you? There's no reason for anxiety. So when you tell yourself, and then be okay with the discomfort of anxiety. It's okay to be a little anxious. But say to yourself, even with the anxiety, A, I focus on priorities, my relationship with my husband, my relationship with my children. B, I keep turning to Hashem to help me. C, I live with the discomfort of anxiety and I'm able to do positive actions even when I'm anxious, and those actions will actually work on my brain to calm me down. Those are just three little things, but there are many, many, many strategies to help with anxiety. Be okay with being anxious. It's okay. We're human. But we have the Rizon Shalom, and he is unlimited. 
in his love, in his care, in his treasure house. He had nothing to worry about. Keep turning to him. He will answer you. I promise you that you'll feel his answer. You will feel his loving response. It will be almost miraculous to the point that you want to tell yourself, no, that just happened. It wasn't Hashem answering you. That's what you can create. He's there for you every minute. And you're in your house. And he's in your house if you bring him in. Yoshev the Sefer El Yom. Hashem abides in those who are great, in those who are El Yom. And they tell us what's the most El Yom place, what's the highest supreme place that Hashem wants to be? He wants to reside in the heart of man. If you bring him into your heart and into your home, he's so happy and he is there for you. And you don't have to be perfect. Don't leave him out of this equation. Don't leave him out of this experience. He's all we have. He's the reason we're here. Reveal him through yourself. Be like him and reveal his attributes. I don't care how low we have fallen. We have no excuse. Shun is the graveyard of our, of our buried potential. We are big. We are his children. We are princesses, and we can do this. And we have each other. Really great women. We care enough to be listening for all of this. We care enough to really want it. You think he's not going to help you? He is. He loves you. Okay, ladies. I'm available for anybody who wants to talk privately, by the way. He's so happy to, to share insights and experience with you and to just be a support if you need it. So have a good night. Have a fun night. Make it a fun night. Enjoy your husband. Love him. Thank you. Okay. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Chadman.